0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Wildwood Baptist Church in Ackworth, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. We are so glad that you're joining us today. If you'd like to know more about Wildwood Baptist Church, you can find us on the web at wildwoodbaptist.org, or you can email us at info at wildwoodbaptist.org. Thanks for joining us. Let's open the Word of God together.
1: One of the things I think we need to start out with this morning, one of the challenges that I want to offer you, just in in light of singing that song, is sometimes we tend to underestimate the work and the power of God in our everyday lives. And, And there are moments when we see His power at work, and we know it's Him, and hopefully we respond with thankfulness. But one of the things that I've learned in my own personal journey with Christ is even when we're not aware that he's working or doing certain things, there's one of three things that he's always doing. He's either preparing us for something or he's doing something or he's reveling in what he's just done in our lives and then moving us on to the next level of relationship with him. So the point of all of that is God is always moving. God is always Working in our hearts and our lives towards the ultimate culmination of the kind of relationship that he not only desires to have with us, but that he sent his son to die for so that you and I can experience the fullness of who he truly is. So we, we come to the end of this particular series where we've really been studying how important these daily habits and disciplines will provide uh, an opportunity for us to grow in our understanding of who God is and be used by him as well, because hopefully that's your desire, as we just said. And uh, I want to begin this morning with a little bit of a story about Seed the Clouds. Uh, true story, by the way, uh, 1946, November 13th, a gentleman by the name of Vincent Schaefer is an owner and a pilot of a, a single propeller airplane, And he decides to take an adventure that's very, very interesting. In fact, he's loaded down with very unique cargo. On his plane, he has six pounds of solidified carbon dioxide, which in layman's terms is dry ice. And it's his desire to fly up into the sky, fly into a cumulus cloud, and drop that dry ice to produce a huge effect, a huge reaction uh, with that particular chemical uh, uh, combination. And so he does this. He, he flies from Schenectady, New York, the local airport, flies over into Massachusetts, interestingly enough. He drops the ice, and the people that are watching from the ground say it looks like the cloud exploded. And it drops such a heavy snowfall that people report that you can see it snowing from forty miles away. Now, the interesting thing is didn't snow on them; they could just see this in a in a, an amazing way. Uh, one of the highlights of the whole thing was a reporter's idea or communication of what had happened. He actually wrote that um, that Schaefer made it snow this afternoon over Pittsville. Next week, we're looking for him to walk on water. The the whole thought is they saw this reaction and result as being miraculous. And and even though it wasn't something that God did, it's something that God provided a way for it to happen. And this was the first time that they had actually seeded the clouds for this kind of thing. So the idea behind that story is this: taking proactive measures today will lead to some desired outcomes tomorrow when you seed the clouds. In fact, let's put it a little more simply as your first bullet point. So today, what you want to see tomorrow. Because this whole series has reinforced, if you and I are proactive about applying the discipline of prayer and bible study and and concentrating our hearts and our lives on seeking the lord and desiring the things that he leads us to desire and to act upon then we are seeding our lives for great results according to god's will for them so if you have your bible turn with me to first kings for those of you that are not familiar with the Bible, it's the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. Uh, it's between a series of first and second. So you have 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, then you have 1 Kings and Second Kings, and you have 1 Chronicles, Second Chronicles, where we're going to be in 1 Kings right in the middle of those three. The science of seeding the clouds may seem like a modern day marvel but the fact of the matter is it's as old as the prophet Elijah is and uh, after a, a huge famine and a drought God moves in a miraculous way in Elijah's life in fact before we read this particular passage let me give you a little bit of background information many of you are familiar with this story but the people of God have chosen to mix and match their worship with other false gods And that's happening because the current king over Israel, his name is Ahab, he's an evil and idolatrous king, he has told the people of God, it's okay for you to worship other gods along with the Lord that the Lord will not detest that. He's 100% wrong, by the way, and it goes against everything that they knew to be true about the Lord being one God and that we are to worship no other gods before him. So Ahab is 100% wrong, and, and in part he was doing it for his own welfare in pleasing other prophets and other organizations to gain in popularity and profitability at that time. So there are two primary gods that are being worshipped alongside of the Lord by God's chosen people, by the way. It's Asherah and also a god, false god named Baal. And, and again, the stamp of approval for worshipping them is not only made by Ahab, Ahab himself is worshipping them as well. Along with the evil that Ahab stands for is the godliness of a prophet named Elijah and the power of God is at work within Elijah. People see him as a true man of God. And so there's this clash of contrasts between these two men. Uh, I think it goes without saying, they don't get along well. Uh, they, they are not happy with one another. Elijah is unhappy with Ahab for his disobedience to God. Ahab is unhappy with Elijah for pointing out his disobedience to God. So they do not have a good relationship. And at some point, the people of God, as they continue to worship these other false idols, God says, okay, fine, there's going to be a famine. And that famine is going to happen based upon a drought. It's not going to rain for several years. For three and a half years, they experienced no rainfall. Now, we think of that as, oh, you know, the ground's going to get dry. No, there was little or no vegetation The animals that they would need to eat had no water to drink. And so there's this mass problem caused by the disobedience of the people of God. And I want you to see something that's interesting about this. Not only were the people who were worshiping these false idols suffering, but also the people of God themselves were suffering because of their disobedience. So remember that, that God's displeasure on God's people isn't always because of what you're doing. It may be what the person next to you is doing or what the person next to him is doing as well. It's, 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 the point is this, that our lives and the way that we live them matter to those around us, those whom hopefully we love and, and care about as well. So in this particular case, this goes on for a certain period of time. God is so fed up. He tells Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to the mountain. I want you to bring the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. Bring them all up there along with God's people, and let's have a contest. You build two altars, and you kill two bu- bulls, and you cut those bulls up, and you put them on the altar, and you tell the f- people who are worshiping false gods, you go ahead and call on your god or gods and ask them to consume that altar with fire. And let's see what happens. And they do so, and the, the people are like, we, you, this is on, we will do that. And they're begging and pleading and fasting, and they're even doing harm to themselves, asking Asherah or Baal to consume this altar with fire to uh, prove that, that they are true gods. Nothing happens. Elijah has some fun with it. He starts suggesting, hey, maybe maybe your God is napping. Maybe your God is traveling. Uh, he even goes as far as saying, maybe your God is relieving himself. I mean, go ahead and look that up, because that's a true. That's exactly what the Bible says. And he's saying this all in, in jest, because it's gonna, there's gonna come a time when God says, okay, now it's time for us to act. And he tells Elijah, I want you to go ahead and douse the wood that you have, underneath the pieces of bull with water 12 pitchers full of water to the point that not only the wood is fully soaking but there's a literal puddle sitting beneath it that the wood is actually sitting in and elijah does all that and then elijah does an amazing thing he prays and basically as a paraphrase elijah says go ahead god show him who you are and god consumes that altar with fire And the people of god who are watching this happen are so amazed at this the bible says that they fall on their faces in worship but elijah's not done he says now because of these false prophets misleading god's people i want the people of god now to capture them and kill them because they are an abomination to god i know that sounds harsh but there are consequences for disobedience especially according to the bible when those who are in leadership positions are misleading god's children so that happens and uh needless to say ahab is none too happy with elijah now he begins to plot to kill elijah and elijah knows it and lo and behold god calls elijah and he says now i want you to do something i want you to go to ahab and tell him it's about to rain and ahab uh, is is obviously hunting for him and looking for him. And Elijah is, is saying to God, uh, do you know he's looking for me? And do you know how unhappy he is and how when he finds me, he's going to kill me? Like, are you aware of all of that? Of course, God is. And God says, no, listen, I've told you what I want you to do. I want you to do that. So I want to pick up where that uh, ends, that part of the story in 1 Kings 18, verses 41 through 46 i'm going to ask you to do something would you stand in the honor of reading god's word together this morning because i want to hear i want you to hear the part of the story that we don't always focus on but is equally amazing here's what it says starting in verse 41 and elijah said to ahab go up eat and drink for there is a sound of the rushing of rain So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with the clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Lord, there is so much packed into these verses. We're asking you for clarity. We're asking you to speak directly into our hearts the things that you would have us not only to know, but to act upon by your spirit so that when we leave here, God, we are changed based upon the power of the understanding of your word today. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. So one of the amazing things about all of this is that we see very clearly what God's will is. He he wants his people to turn from their wicked ways to repent and to turn back to him as their Lord. It's very, very obvious. And I think it's good for me to point out that God doesn't need an individual to make that happen. And yet God chooses to use a man like Elijah to be both a conduit and and a, and also a, a connecting point between God and his people. And so he's got a, na- a man named Elijah who's known as a prophet who hears from God and then communicates what God wants them to know uh, based upon what God tells him to say. And in order to do that, you have to be obedient. You have to say, God, I want to hear from you. And then you have to do what the Lord is telling you to do. And that's exactly what we see Elijah do. Do In fact, it's interesting to know. We, you could say, well, how does, how does the Lord communicate to Elijah what he wants him to do? It's really not as uh, obvious as what we probably often desire for God to speak to us. Uh, in that way. It's not, it's very, very general, but it's very direct. If you look back to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, this is the culmination of all this. It says, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, he's talking about the third year of the drought, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Do, Do you see that? Go make yourself known to Ahab, And when and if you do, it's going to rain. And Elijah takes God at his word. He says, okay, I'm going to go. I'm putting myself in peril. I'm putting myself in a very vulnerable position. Uh, Ahab does not seek to worship you. He doesn't act like he knows you. He's not being obedient to you. He's an evil, evil king. In fact, we read earlier in 1 Kings, he's one of the most evil kings that had ever existed in Israel. And at the exact same time, one of the most evil kings is ruling over Judah as well. So God's people are not in good hands in this particular time. And Elijah's kind of reluctant going, I mean, are you sure this is what you want me to do? But once God says do it, Elijah does it. He he obeys the Lord. So once the people of God repented, of worshiping these other idols. God's ready for things to change, and he's using Elijah as a communicator for what he desires for his people to experience. And, and notice that the Lord gives Elijah instructions on how to start the process, or as we're calling it today, to see the clouds. Here's the point that I want to make about that, your second bullet point. As people of God, we must obey the Lord. Like, there, there isn't any... Um, Room for not seeking, not hearing, not following the will of the Lord in a believer's life. Even if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, folks, listen, there are consequences for disobedience. And it comes in the form of both discipline, but it also comes in the form of removal of blessing for God's people. So it's important for us not only, uh, as you are doing so well this morning, Uh, attending church, going to fusion classes, going to Bible studies, reading on your own and studying the Word of God. It's important for you to seek those things. But once you seek them, you are to obey them. You you have to do them as well. Uh, And if you live in disobedience, then you're going to suffer the consequences of that disobedience. Uh, It's important for you to know and discern through discovery what the will of God is because we should want the will of God. I heard this story about a farmer who's out working on his fence line near the road and when he sees another neighbor from a few farms down walking toward him uh, with a cow, he says, where where are you headed with that cow? And his neighbor says, well, I'm going into town to sell it. And the farmer who's mending his fence says, well, you mean if it's the Lord's will, you're going to sell it. And his neighbor's a little perturbed at him saying that. And he says, no, actually, uh, I don't reckon the Lord has anything to do with this. I bought her. I fed her. I uh, milked her. And now I'm going to go to town and sell her. And nobody's going to stop me from doing that. So down the road he goes. And about 20 minutes later, he comes walking back up the road. Only now his, tours, his, his uh, clothing has been torn um, He's got two black eyes. He's got missing teeth. And the farmer mending the fence says, what in the world happened to you? And he said, I just got down the road a couple more miles, and two guys jumped me and beat me up and stole my cow. And the guy mending the fence says, well, what are you going to do now? And he says, well, I'm going to go home and bandage my wounds. But before he takes another step further, he turns to the farmer. He says, if it be the Lord's will. (laughs) you can learn by hearing or you can learn through experience but the lord's will will be done and it's god's will for you not only to seek it but to follow it now here's the second step to doing or obeying what the lord tells us and i've suggested this earlier it's probably more the first listening to the lord comes before obeying him And the reason that I name this secondly is that you have to desire to know what God wants you to know in order to do what God wants you to do. Half a century ago, a doctor by the name of Alfred Tomatis was confronted with one of the most confounding problems that he'd ever faced as an ENT, as an ear, nose, and throat specialist. A well-known opera singer had mysteriously lost his ability to hit certain notes, even though those notes were well within his vocal range. And uh, he'd seen specialists, most of whom had said, you've obviously got a voice problem. Well, Dr. Tomatis thought otherwise. Using a sonometer, Dr. Tomatis determined that this opera singer had been producing 140 decibel sound waves, at a meter's distance from his ears. That's louder than a military jet taking off from an aircraft carrier. That discovery led to this diagnosis. The opera singer had suffered hearing loss by the sound of his own voice. And because he couldn't hear the note, he could no longer sing the note. In Dr. Tomatis' words, the voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. The French Academy of Medicine dubbed it the Tomatus effect, and its ramifications go well beyond the opera singer's life. When you and I face relational problems and emotional problems, even spiritual problems, we often think that those problems are the problems, but they're merely symptoms Probably, And I'll say even possibly of the real problem because the real root of those kinds of problems comes with a spiritual to effect ears that have been deafened to the voice of God. You see the Bible describes God's voice as a small still voice. It describes it as a sound or a low whisper, a gentle whisper, a soft whisper. And in some translations, it's described as the sound of gentle blowing. Here's the point. You've got to get quiet and listen closely to hear God speak. Listening to other noises, to other people, even listening to ourselves, often leads to negative results. I told you this earlier, but according to studies, you, you will have 60,000 thoughts that will fire across your synaps- synapsis today. And according to the Cleveland Clinic, 80% of what you hear and think will be negative. And the major problem that we face is all the crying and all the complaining and all the criticism and all the condemnation. We hear that kind of junk so often, it's hard for us to believe anything else but the negative things that we hear. The enemy is called the accuser of the brethren. He's also called the father of lies. If you listen to those lies, you'll become deaf to the voice of God. In fact, Batterson says, if you can't hear his voice, you can't sing his song, and your life is going to be lived out of sync and off key. If you're struggling with any or all of these problems, I have one major biblical solution to your problem. Here's how you can turn up the volume of God's voice. It's your fourth bullet point. We hear God speak in the Bible. Romans 12:2 says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." Folks, we've got to make time to read and study and hear and learn God's word so we become with his will and his ways, and then when we pray and ask him for his guidance in our lives, we'll recognize his voice and we'll grow to be more like him because we know him for who he truly is. I wonder how many more miracles we may see actually happen in our own lives when we start looking for them to happen. Maybe even expecting them to happen. Studies show that the older that we get, the more closed that we become toward expecting amazing things to happen in our lives. We become conditioned not to get our hopes up. In fact, studies show that as we get older, there's a shift in the cognitive process from right brain to the left brain thinking. Now the right side of the brain, or the right brain, is where imagination comes in. The left side is where we find our logic. This may be part of our problem, because if we're not careful and we stop living with hopeful imagination, we simply base our expectations on our memory, things that we've already seen or heard or experienced. If you haven't experienced some amazing things of God in your life, then the older you get, the less likely you will be to expect those things to happen. You won't seek them. You won't desire. You won't even know that they can happen. When you stop dreaming, God-given dreams about your future future, you start living only from your past. You stop living by faith and you start living by logic. And that's why God's vision or direction is so incredibly important in our lives. Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So we need to seek and then hear God. Once we hear and know him, we are to obey him. Here's our next step in seeding the clouds. Don't underestimate the power that's found in a bold prayer. Verse 42 says that Ahab goes away to eat and drink while Elijah goes to the top of Mount Carmel. It's there that we discover the third thing that we should do to seed the cloud for God's blessing and God's favor. Look at verse 42 with me, but as we read this, remember God's already told Elijah what he wants to have happen. Verse 42 says, "And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees." Now, what I think I love most about this is that Elijah didn't just sit back and wait and watch and hope that God's going to do what he said he was going to do. While Ahab goes and enjoys a meal, Elijah goes to work. He bows out of reverence, and he puts his head between his legs, which means he gets really low, and he prays a bold prayer that God would be glorified by because God has told him what to pray. It's like what we read in 1 John 5:14, where John says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How do we pray the Lord's will? Well, we seek to hear and then obey what he tells us. So our fifth bullet point is this. Go ahead and pray about the things that God has already placed in your heart. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate knowing or praying God's will. Here's a fairly simple formula. Number one, ask yourself, does what you're praying for line up with God's word? Number two, ask yourself, does what you're praying for lead you to a closer relationship with him? Number three, does what you're praying for line up with who God is leading you to become in Christ? Because that's God's ultimate goal for your life, for you to be transformed into the image of your Savior. That's when God is most glorified, when we're working towards that point according to his power and according to his will. You can see the clouds many different ways, but don't forget that even when you don't know how to pray, you still should pray. And often we have to rely on the Spirit to be able to do so. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't it interesting that God pronounces the power of prayer in our life? I personally believe that humility mixed with submission catalyzes the opportunities for God to bless us. The Bible indicates that when we ask the Lord for what he's leading us to ask for, God's going to answer those prayers by providing exactly what you ask for. And you may be thinking, well, isn't that obvious? If I ask God for what he wants me to ask for, of course God is going to give me what he wants to give me. But I would ask you, would you expect the opposite to be true? Here's the flip side. Do you really want God to give you the things that he really doesn't want you to have? One of my favorite passages and promises in the Bible is found in Matthew 7. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then he asks you this question Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, ouch know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give the good things to those who ask him i think the real question boils down to this your sixth bullet point how badly do you really want what god wants you to have when was the last time you found yourself doubled over in prayer You see, that posture that Elijah assumes indicates profound humility mixed with extreme intensity. Folks, he's not just praying. He's believing and yet begging God for a miracle. Personally, I have no issue with shorter thank you prayers before meals. Why? I enjoy eating my food while it's still hot. That said, there are moments when you need to press in and pray through you need to seed clouds with contending prayer that lasts as long as it needs to and is as passionate and sometimes even as painful as it needs to be because you want what god wants you to have so bad you just keep praying do you remember what elijah does after he prays he looks with eyes of expectancy Look at verse 43 with me again. And he said to his servant, go now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again. And he does so seven times. You see, Elijah is convinced that rain is coming, even though there is zero sign of it happening anytime soon. The servant comes back and says, sorry, nothing, Elijah. Elijah says, go back. Still nothing. Go back, go back, go back seven times. Seven is an interesting number. It's called the number of perfection or completion, obviously because God creates all things in six days and then rests on the seventh. But that number seven is used several times in Scripture. One of the place that it is found speaks profoundly to what we're talking about today. Proverbs 24:16 says, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. You see, the idea here is that the righteous who trust in Christ and who are then made righteous in his eyes are kind of like a Timex watch. They take a licking and keep on ticking. The the righteous persevere because they are made strong. The wicked fall and stay down because they are weak. In boxing... You, you don't lose because you go down. You lose because you stay down. In the Bible, Abraham bows down to the ground seven times in Genesis 33. The priests consecrate the altar by sprinkling it seven times. According to Psalm 12, the word of the Lord is like silver refined seven times. The Bible tells us that the Israelites circled Jericho seven days, but then on the seventh day, seven times. Naaman dips into the Jordan River seven times. And here we've got Elijah praying and then sending someone to check seven times. I wonder about this. What if any of those people during any of those circumstances stopped at six and never got to seven? Maybe they would have missed seeing a miracle right before it happened. Here's the point, our last bullet point together this morning. Patient persistence in prayer is pleasing to God. When Jesus says to ask and seek and knock in Matthew 7, by the way, another 7, those are present imperative verbs. In other words, it means to ask and keep asking to seek and keep seeking, to knock and to continue to knock. After the seventh time, the servant comes back with good news for Elijah, and he puts it this way in verse 44. He says, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. That's not much of a cloud, much less much of a storm cloud, but it's a cloud. It's a start. It's a beginning to something great. Remember earlier when we talked about do not despise small beginnings because something small given by God often becomes something great later. Elijah has such great faith. He knows what God has promised. And he recognizes that this is the beginning of the fruition of the plan that God has. And so here's what he does. The Lord says, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. He tells Ahab, uh, you probably better get down this hill pretty quickly because it's about to rain buckets of water on top of you. And uh, Ahab must be wondering, what in the world is this guy talking about? Interestingly enough, he does it. And then the very next scripture says this in verse 45, And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. Buckets of water poured out from the skies after three and a half years of seeing not a single drop fall from those clouds. There's something else that happens, and I'm going to conclude with this this morning. Elijah's been asking, he's been seeking, he's been knocking, he's believing, and he's all in it on this. He's been praying fervently that he's so fervently that he's doubled over and begging God for what he believes God's telling him that he wants to do. It's almost like God's asking Elijah, Elijah, how badly do you want to see what I want to have happen? And Elijah wants it really bad. You would think that he'd be drained and exhausted by now, but it's actually the exact opposite. Look what it says again in verses 45 through 46. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, I don't claim to be an expert on chariot racing or the speed that chariots can achieve going down a mountainside, but if I'm reading this correctly, Elijah outruns Ahab's chariot and beats him to the entrance to Jezreel. It reminds me of Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not be faint we bring this sermon series to a close by reminding you of something that i said a couple weeks ago maybe repeated last week i've received quite a few emails about this point as we move forward god is always looking back on what he says will happen before it happens everything that happens begins with an idea by god And so when you're seeking and waiting and knocking and persevering, and you may be thinking things like day number one, day number two, day number three, God, where are you? Day number four, day number five, day number six, I thought you promised. Day number seven, day number eight, day number nine, day number ten, God, I thought you said that if I ask according to your will, you'll do it. But understand, God doesn't see it that way. I think God sees it more like a countdown. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Blast off. Here's the miracle that I promise you will have. And in the in-between time, between God showing us what to pray for and praying, and the fruition of that prayer, we're to grow in our understanding not only of who God is, but who he's making us to be in the process. That's important for us to embrace. And we embrace them through these spiritual disciplines, these habits that we practice on a day-by-day basis as we seek to know and acknowledge God in a greater way. I'm gonna invite Pastor Steve and members of our praise team to join me on stage. They're gonna close us out with one more song of praise and commitment. But before we do that, can I tell you a quick story? Uh, I grew up as a young child in Southern Illinois and um often stayed overnight with my grandparents when we lived there and notice something interesting even a little bit funny about my grandmother at that time she was a prayer warrior and so on nights that i would stay overnight with them um, she would pray with me and uh, then she would put me to bed and then she would go into her room and our bedrooms were adjacent and i would hear her pray Now, I knew how she prayed, because I'd seen her pray. She would bow at the side of her bed, and she would just start praying and praying and praying. And do you know that there weren't many nights that I remember falling asleep before she was finished praying? She really was a prayer warrior. Well, she told me when I was really young, one of the things that she was praying for, apparently, was for me to be involved in ministry. Now that wasn't something that I was seeking back then, and it wasn't something that I was seeking much in my adult life. As a younger child, I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to play basketball. As an older person, still a child, but older, I wanted to pursue wealth and money in my life. Do you know, I think it was the day that I got ordained in the church that I served at before I went here. I remember sensing the Holy Spirit telling me the prayers of your grandmother are happening. What's the point? The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So remember this as you continue your journey through this new year, making this year maybe the best year ever by flipping the script, kissing the wave, eating the frog, flying the kite, cutting the rope, winding the clock, and today seeding the cloud. Your faithfulness to God today can make a huge impact on people's lives for generations that follow you. Would you stand with me now? I want to close by telling you this. You've been prayed for. Uh, Before these services began today, we together ask God to speak to all who are here, all who are watching this morning, to speak to you about your next steps. This morning, do you need to invite Jesus to be your Savior? Because if you've not done that, that's the necessary first step. Admit that you've sinned. Acknowledge that your sin has separated you from him and ask him not only to forgive you, but to come into your life and to take control. He will lead you on a journey that far exceeds your wildest expectations. Or maybe today, do you need to bow to him in humble submission and acknowledge that no matter what you're going through right now, you will continue to serve him as Lord until that breakthrough or that miracle happens according to his will and his perfect timing. Those are two possibilities. And remember this, there's nothing that God can't do. Let's pray. Father, use this time as an opportunity for us to grow by responding to what you've told us and taught us this morning. Help us to respond in a way that not only honors and glorifies you, but moves us in the direction that you're leading us to. Walk in according to your perfect plan, your perfect will for our lives. Lead those who need to know you to believe and confess. Lord, those who do know you to begin to follow and to desire to do the things that you're leading them to do. And be honored by those responses. And we ask and pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Deacons are available down front. The altar is open for you to bow. Respond to the Holy Spirit's leading as we sing this last song together.
0: You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Wildwood Baptist Church. We hope that today's message was an encouragement to you. For more information, you can find us at wildwoodbaptist.org, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Wildwood Ackworth on the web and on social media. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to hearing from you.